but I want to start by rereading some sections of chapter 17. So y'all stand back up with me and let's read uh, these selected verses from Genesis 17. Remember in 16, Sarah and Abram get ahead of the Lord. Sarah gives her maidservant Hagar to Abraham to sleep with as a, like a second wife. She gets pregnant. They both, the women both get mad at each other. Abram's like, hey, man, I'm out of this. And so Sarah treats Hagar terrible. Hagar leaves. She thinks she's all alone. But God said, no, I've heard you. You're going to have a son named Ishmael. And Ishmael's going to father a great nation. In fact, he'll have 12 sons. But he's going to be a wild man. And he's going to have a lot of tension. And it's sure enough, the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, not all Arabs, go back and listen to last week if you need to, but the Arabic peoples have truly been at war from that day till this day with the people of God, the Jews, and quite frankly with many, many other groups. So again, I'll not rehash and reteach everything, but if you are curious about that, why is there such tension? And particularly when we talk about it, we often point to the Middle East. We often point to the Arabian Peninsula where the Ishmaelites were and the ones that took Joseph, Abram and Sarah's great-grandson, into slavery. Why the tension today? It goes all the way back to what the Bible teaches us, right? And so you can go back and listen to that. But that leads us then into these two signs, the name and the act of circumcision. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Does anybody remember the Hebrew there? El Shaddai. El Shaddai. I am Almighty God or God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father to many nations or a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'll make nations of you. And look, kings shall come from you. That's true, guys. King, Solomon, or King Saul, King David, King Solomon, all the way to King Jesus. Truly, kings would come from this man and from Miss Sarah. And I will establish my covenant between me and your, you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant didn't become everlasting under David, didn't become everlasting under Solomon, became everlasting under Christ. And to God, an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Now let's go to nine. And God said to Abraham, as for you, what is your part in this, Abraham? You shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after and throughout their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised. Now, how old is he, church? This is bad news for a 99-year-old, y'all. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay, so that's a sign. Let's skip to 15. And then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah, Sarah, it's, it's the same. Just it, It's slightly different on the last letter. Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son, watch, by her. And then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Here it is again. Kings of peoples shall be from her. And then Abraham fell on his face, and he laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? 
And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think Abraham asked a very valid series of questions here. This appears totally impossible through the eyes of man. That there would be nations, kings coming from this one who was so beyond the childbearing years. And particularly his wife at 89 going on 90. But Lord, we're reminded here that nothing is impossible with you. As we see the birth of the Jewish people, what we would now call uh, maybe the Hebrews or the, the chosen people of God, as we see the birth of these people through this man and his wife, help us to be reminded that as you gave them signs and symbols, so too you have given us signs and symbols. And may we be clear on those. May we not confuse categories. May we not take illogical leaps, but may we come to understand what is your truth? How do we live according to it and apply it? Because your truth is all that matters. Your truth is the truth. And no one else's that doesn't accord is true. So help us to live according to the reality as you have made it. Just like we're going to learn about this week at Summer Spec, the big story. Help us to see how it impacts our lives, even today. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen. Thank you and be seated. So, real quick, remember point one. World history has been impacted radically by the events that unfold here. If you want to see what I'm talking about there, I know last weekend, big, big travel weekend. I get it. If you weren't able to watch yet or catch up, watch, listen. Find us any way there's media out there from YouTube to um, all of them. You can find us wherever, um, Apple, iTunes, whatever, but go back and catch up because that's an important truth that matters to this day. And so you have this tension that's happened between <clears throat> the Ishmaelites or the Arabic peoples and the non-Arab, but then we see this, this new name offered both to Abram and to Sarah because God gives new names as a sign of his faithfulness to his covenant. Remember, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. Sarah, it's got a couple of renderings. It could mean my princess to princess, meaning, okay, she was Abram's princess, but now she's going to be princess to the world. Maybe it could also mean one who exerts oneself or one who perseveres. That's a good meaning because she did persevere. In a time when barrenness was seen as a curse, she persevered. But God changed their names, which brings me to a sticking point, a hair shirt. Y'all know what a hair shirt is, right? I've told you, you get a barber, you get a cut, and then you get hair down in the collar of your shirt, and it just irritates you. Well, I have one of those about our name. A hair shirt. When I was directing choir in the early years of ministry and leading, we had a song we sang called uh, Sinner Saved by Grace. Have y'all heard that? I'm just a sinner saved by grace. The way our choir sang it, though, it irritated me. Because they'd sing that word sinner real big and loud. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? That's not the way you do that song. You do, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Do you see the difference? You're emphasizing the wrong thing. You put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You've got this thing all out of whack. You need to come back and say, look, yeah, stay with me. It's okay. Look, here, here's the thing. I want you, I, I don't even like the phrase. I've grown to kind of detest the phrase. I know people use it a lot. 
We'll mess up and we'll say, well, you know me now. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Okay, but that's not the way the Bible talks about you anymore. Understand that the Bible refers to Christians almost every single time as saints. A saint is not what the Catholic Church says. It is not someone who has to perform a miracle or series of miracles. A saint is one consecrated, holy, set apart, saved by God, now walking in his light. That is a saint. And if you are a Christian today, you biblically are called a saint. You have a new name written down in glory. Now, I know what some of you wives are thinking. Well, my husband says he's a Christian, but he is no saint. Don't think like that, okay? Change your thinking. Romans 1, 7, Paul said, To those in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Ephesians 1, 1, To the saints who were at Ephesus, faithful in Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 1, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi. Think about how Paul refers to you. Think about how the Bible calls you a saint. Now, I know he said in 1 Timothy 1.5 that he was chief among sinners. But he didn't actually come right out and say, I'm a chief sinner. He said, I recognize that there are a lot of sinners, and for a long time in my life, I led the sin train. I was the conductor of the sin train. But Paul admitted he was a new person. In fact, in Romans 5, 8, it says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we, listen, were still sinners, were. Now, I know English is trying to be changed. People are playing with words. People are playing with pronouns. Things don't mean what they used to mean. But were means were. It means I, we were sinners. But when we are born again, we are given a new name, and it's called saints. That doesn't mean you walk around with your spiritual nose in the air. What it means is I'm walking in transformation. I have a new name. I am not who I once was. Will I sin occasionally? Well, Well, yes. Well, don't people who sin, aren't they called sinners? Well, if you've ever lied, and all of us have, you don't go around self-identifying as a liar. Now, I know Ray Comfort's method of evangelism. I appreciate it. I'm reading his study Bible this year, and it's excellent. But I know he says, look, if you've ever lusted after a woman, you're you're an adulterer. And if you've ever taken anything, you're a thief. But that's not the way you would self-identify. You would say, you know, look, yeah, I struggled with that, but now I'm cleansed of that, and I'm moving on. Or, you know, every once in a while I'll fall there in that way. But that's not how you identify. So there are two realities to keep in check. The ongoing sin in the lives of people is real, saved or lost. We Christians should be first to admit we still struggle, we still stumble, but we know there's a Savior to pick us up when we fall down. And so we should be honest and say, no, we don't have it all together, we're not perfect, but the Bible gives us a new name. The one reality is we have ongoing sin, but... Our deepest identity is chosen and holy and loved and saints of God. Not because you're a great guy, not because you're just a wonderful gal, but because God said it is so. God's declared you to be a saint. So think about that. The sign of transformation is you're a new creature in Christ. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's time to live like it. If I walk around saying, I'm just an old sinner, I'm just an old sinner, I'm just an old sinner, and then I kind of tag that with saved by grace, I'm going to be a different guy than if I say, you know, I'm a child of God. I'm a saint of the almighty God, chosen, set apart for his glory. I still struggle with sin. There are still some times when people cut me off and I want to give them a Hawaiian wave, but I choose not to do that 99.999% of the time because I'm certain when I do, they're going to have a grace emblem on the back of their car when they go by me. But that's okay. Accountability's good, right? That's what I was telling our riders yesterday. When cars cut you off and when they don't see you, just smile and wave in Jesus' name. Because that's just the way it is. But there are signs everywhere. I learned the importance of signs and paying attention right after we moved here. Uh, we live over on Mountain Hill across from the steam plant rowing course area. And so I want to put our little boat out in the water. I go down to Edgemore. I didn't have a um, fancy fish finder with maps. I just had a little dingy thing that told you your depth and um, kind of marked a bread trail. And so I fired it up. I got out in the water. I thought, man, it's wide out here. I'm going to just hammer down. That was a problem. Because my beeper started going off from my shallow warning alarm almost instantly. And I discovered something in Melton Hill. You can be in 40 foot, 6 inches, just like that. If you don't know where you're going, you will kill yourself or lose the bottom end of your motor out in the lake. And so you better pay it. And that's true of most of these lakes around here, but it's really true in that one. you got to know where the markers are. you got to understand how to read the markers. Have you all ever heard of red, right, return? Yeah, so Nobody? There's not a single boater in the room, Ted. Red, right, return. So with red is on your right, you are returning from the dam. You're going to thank me for that later. God taught me that years ago. He said, if you're going away from the dam, so for us, if I get on the water and go toward Calhoun's, red is on my right because the dam's behind me. The Watts Bar, where it dumps to Watts. I'm, I'm going away from the dam. If I keep red on my left, I'm going toward the dam. So red, right, return. That was free. You can pay for that one at the uh, giving time. Okay. So here's the thing. You need to know how to read the signs. Let me tell you a sign that's caused a tremendous amount of division and misunderstanding in Christianity all the way to today. Number three, God gave the Jews circumcision as a sign of his covenant. Notice how I wrote the point. The Jews. So, parents, again, I'm going to have to use some terminology here. It's right here in the Bible. You're just going to have to go with me, and you're going to have to explain this if there are young kids in the room that don't understand. This is a vivid sign. Imagine you are 99 years old. You have a 13-year-old son by an illegitimate second wife. You have all of these males in your household, servants and leaders, and God said, hey, bud, I'm going to need you to do something down there, and then I'm going to need you to get your 13-year-old boy, and I need you to bring him over. And then, Could you imagine that 13-year-old kid's reaction? Dad, you going to do what? Now, you might think, well, this is totally radical and totally new. No, it's not. No, 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 no. It's just like baptism. Many cultures had a form of dipping people or sprinkling people in water. Many faiths. But what God is doing when he takes a symbol or a sign is he's giving it its newest, truest, fullest meaning. In fact, 
what we know is that Egyptian and Canaanite cultures widely practiced circumcision a little differently. It wasn't, so, so let's get clear on what we're talking about. Circumcision refers to the surgical removal of the male foreskin, okay? And so in that, uh, the, the Egyptian ritual most of the time involved slitting and not full removal. But what were they saying? Most of the time they were doing it to young men about the time they entered puberty. And they were making it as a blood sacrifice to the god or the gods because they were polytheists. And they were saying, we ask for this child to be fertile. So obviously you can imagine that's kind of very symbolic. We want to demonstrate, as you know, there are some horrific, horrific practices never associated with Christianity, but around the world that have to do with females, but that's a totally different thing. Don't confuse categories. So mutilation in that area for young ladies is a different thing. It is to remove um, a gratification and all of those things, so we'll not go down that path, but I don't want you to confuse categories. What we're talking about specifically is there was the right of circumcision. Canaanites used it pre-Abram moving into that land of promise. Remember Canaan, son of Ham, and this is the promised land. Egyptians used it. But God said, I'm going to give you something entirely new. This is not to appease me. It is not to make your child fertile. You're going to have a full foreskin removal so that you can demonstrate not entering puberty, but as an infant. Now, Abram and his kids, they got it rough, man. They have to do it as adults. But he said, look, when they're so young, they won't even know this. There's going to be two things that happen on the eighth day. You're going to name that child, the males, and you're going to circumcise that child. And in so doing, you're going to set them apart as a chosen person of God, a Jewish person. And so uh, any male that was not circumcised, I'm, I'm down here in verse 14, any male who's not circumcised, that person shall be cut off from his people. Now again, to avoid being graphic, I think you understand the Hebrew and the English is a play on words. If you're not willing to do this for me, then you will be cut off from your people. God is not saying ever that circumcision somehow saves you. Remember, all of this is before the cross. All of this is leading us up to Messiah, Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. But none of this is salvific. It is simply saying you are acknowledging that you are part of my covenant people. And then John the Baptist over in Luke chapter 1 verse 59 and Jesus himself in uh, chapter 2 verse 21. Both of these were taken by their parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, they were taken to the temple, they were named, and they were circumcised on the eighth day. It was a very powerful image. And so there is a spiritual idea closely attached to circumcision, and it is the idea of purity. In the Bible, we talk about the foreskin and uh, other things like circumcision of lips, circumcision of ears, circumcision of hearts. Well, obviously there's no extra skin there. So what, what is that about? The removal of that, the fat of sin, the excess, that which is not essential, that is a picture of purification. And so there was this idea, you're being set apart. Jeremiah, uh, Exodus 6, Jeremiah 6, Leviticus 26, every one of these references is in your notes. And so some people ask me today, I'll get this question about circumcision. Listen to me. This is between you and your physician. This has nothing to do at this point in our time and culture. You're not Orthodox Jews in here. And if you are, okay, that's your tradition. But I'm speaking primarily to Christians or those possibly seeking Christ. 
This has nothing to do with religion anymore. In fact, I would argue it was completely done away with in the New Testament. And I'll try to explain why very clearly. But you say, well, should I do this or should I not? That is a choice between you, your spouse, your doctor. That could be done for health reasons. It could be done for other things. But it has nothing whatsoever today to do with this particular covenant. In fact, circumcision became a real problem. The very act that should have humbled the Jewish people and should have made them say we are set apart to be a light to the nations became a source of national pride. In the New Testament, they even said we are of the circumcision. You dog Gentiles over there, you're so filthy, you are of the uncircumcision. And what Paul regularly tries to teach in the New Testament is that circumcision availeth nothing. And he says, look, Jesus is God of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And in fact, Jewish Christians in particular struggled with this. They would say to the Gentile males, hey, you got to be circumcised first to come to Jesus. And Paul came along and said, uh-uh, don't you tell them that. That's wrong. In fact, he said, you are putting up a stumbling block for them. They don't have to do anything to become a Christian. And listen to me, I would say the same to you today. You don't have to do anything because when Jesus Christ to tell us die it is done finished paid in full everything that needs to happen for you to be a Christian has already happened you just put your hands out and say here I am Lord I receive it and you take in what God has done for you and so he says circumcision availeth nothing and in fact it gave them great pride but he said it should not be that way Circumcision should be a symbol of purity and loyalty. And regularly in Old and New Testaments, we have things like, look, circumcise your heart. Cut away anything that is going to put a barrier between you and your maker. Circumcise your heart. In fact, unbelief is often referred to as having an uncircumcised heart. I would ask you this question. Could there be anything today that you need to cut away that's keeping you from a close relationship with God? I had something after we got married. Um, I was working for Anheuser-Busch Entertainment at the theme park and traveling with Bush Entertainment. Anheuser-Busch, man, there are going to be a lot of books written about the craziness they've been in the last few months. And Target and all of them, just silliness. So I was working for these guys. I was doing pro shows. When I came home and we moved back to North Carolina, I had a lot of contacts from shows I had done. And a lot of times what I would do is book a party or a corporate event or something and then sing and, and play or do whatever they said for however many hours. It was mostly secular. But I just got this deep conviction that I was living in two worlds and I was thinking God might be working on my heart calling me, but I was trying to do some church stuff over here, but I was doing the bars and the parties and other things over here and it just felt like I needed to cut something out. I went to Cindy and I said, honey, I feel this conviction that I need to stop doing the secular music. I don't know if it's forever or for a while. But I just need to stop, and I know we we didn't have much money at all. I know that was going to hurt us a little bit financially, although I wasn't making a lot doing that. But it was good extra money. And um, she said, okay, yeah, I support that. It wasn't two days. My phone rings. It's a guy named Jack. Jack booked me a lot to do these big events, and he hosted these huge parties. And I'd normally go do three or four hours worth and make a great extra income on the weekend. And Jack, as soon as he told me who it was, this is pre-caller um, ID, 
as soon as he told me who it was, I knew what he was about to ask. Hey, check your calendar, man. We want to do this big thing. I want you to come out to the farm and do this thing. It was a, a big thing that he was going to have. And uh, he talked and talked. And I said, Jack, I got to tell you something. God's been working on me. And, man, I just made a decision that I'm just not going to do any secular stuff. And I know what y'all like and, you know. But it's hard to sing about friends in low places and whiskey on Saturday night and Jesus on Sunday, at least as an immature believer. Now, I'm older now. I can handle some distinctions better now. So I, I, can, I can be a little more engaged. So I listen to secular things now. But my point is I, I just struggled back then. And Jack's listening to me, and then he starts laughing. And I'm like, oh, this ain't good. And he says, well, it's actually funny you said that. Me and Libby, his wife, he said, we were talking. And he said, for this particular gig, he said, we wanted you to come out and do all of that gospel music and Christian stuff you do. <laughs> and I'm like, just like God. Just like God when you say, I'm going to cut this off, and God gives you an opportunity to be tested. Is he going to say no? Is he going to be willing to turn down the opportunity and the money and trust me? And then it worked that way from then on. And again, today is a little bit different in my life because I'm not dealing with the, the, the challenges and doubts and other things I was dealing with. But I would ask you, is there anything you need to circumcise to cut out that would keep you from God's best? Because you could take the good and miss the best. You can take the okay and miss the almighty. Is there anything in your life that you think, man, if I could just, I could cut. There could be a relationship that somebody needs to cut out. And I know that it invariably when I talk about things like this, somebody's going to come and say, did my such and such talk to you? No, my such and such talked to me. He's called the Holy Spirit. Is there someone? Is there something is there something that just needs to be circumcised, taken out, so that there can be clarity and can be a closeness again between you and your creator? You know, the Bible says that faith without works is dead. Jesus' half-brother James wrote that. And, and circumcision really is a work. But it is not a work that saves. It is a work that shows you are set apart. And so... I want to show you, and I'm going to transition. I'm going to do this apologetically to the end here in a few minutes. I want you to jot this point down. A number of differences in the practices between Christian groups can be traced to covenant theology. Not all, but many. There are some traditions that hold covenant theology. In fact, I even looked up. I want to make sure I catch them. Covenant theology. Ready? I'm going to show you the difference now between what a covenant theologian thinks about uh, circumcision and what we would what we typically Baptist would say about it or many not just Baptist many other evangelical traditions um, so I'm talking about Catholicism I'm talking about Eastern Orthodoxy I'm talking about Anglican Lutheran Presbyterian Methodist not all but most not all most Congregationalists most Moravians Nazarenes and other variant forms how many of you just by show of hands we had quite a few in the first service how many of you were baptized, and I've used that word lightly, okay, wet, either by effusion, pouring, sprinkling, or dipping as an infant, or christened, or christened. Okay, cool. There's a lot of you. Okay, so I'm talking to y'all. Everybody else listen in, though. This is cool, okay? You ready? 
So that is an affirmation of covenant theology. And what the covenant theologian would say, what a covenant theological practice would say, is is actually fairly simple. As circumcision was a sign of a child entering the covenant before he knew any better, right? Because he's eight days old. I'm sure if you could ask the eight-day-old, hey, little buddy, do you want me to circumcise you? He's probably going to go, no, right? Probably every time. But... Uh, in the same way, the covenant theologian, the, those affirming covenant theology would say, okay, over in the New Testament, we get a sign of circumcision, and that is baptism. So you enter the family of faith, didn't say you were saved, don't, don't swap categories, but you're entering the family of faith, you're becoming Catholic or Lutheran through this act. And it's very important that we do this when you're tiny because we want you under the grace of God. That is a bestowal of God's favor. And then later, what do you take? You take classes like catechism and then you are what? Confirmed, right? Those of you that stayed in the tradition long enough to understand it, different traditions have slightly different names and nuance, but that is the point. So this idea of a personal relationship with God by praying and receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior is a little more foreign because the concept is, wait a minute, because of mom and or dad, you were baptized. You were under the covenant community. Why do we do it different? Okay. That's called pedo-baptism. It's where we would get the word from Greek, pedo, like a child or infants, like a podiatrist. Uh, I said podiatrist, not a foot guy. Pediatrician, pedo, pediatrician. Did I say podiatrist in the first service? I said pediatrician. Praise the Lord. I said Noah built the ark many times. I mean, Moses built the ark many times too, but that's not right, so y'all follow me. So a, podi- a pediatrician works on children. A pedo-baptist believes in child and most often infant baptism because they hold to covenant theology. We do not believe in pedo-baptism here and in most evangelical traditions like Baptist and many others, we believe in credo-baptism. A credo-baptist means creed, belief, believer's baptism. Now you say, okay, pastor, so there's a difference between infant baptism and believer's baptism. Yes. Why? Because listen, every single recorded instance of baptism in the New Testament, that's where we see it, every single instance is someone who has just expressed faith, personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. You will not find one example. Even people will say, whoa, 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 the Philippian jailer, it says he and his family. No, 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 it says those who believed were baptized. The older members of his family who expressed personal belief in Jesus are baptized. So we baptize because belief comes before baptism. It must. So believers go through the water. When? Right after they are converted. And here's the deal, guys. Those of you that were little, now many of you probably have been baptized as believers. But again, I use my wedding ring. Think about this. My son out here, Bobby, he could take my ring out of the drawer. He could slip it on his finger. Will it make him a married man? Of course it won't. Because he's not made that covenant to the woman that God has for him. And so the ring without the covenant means nothing. You can wear it if you want, but a baptism without personal belief in Jesus is not a biblical baptism. And I know, I know, I know, I know, for some of you this is tough, 
But pastor, you don't understand. I've heard it all over 25 years. My mama is so Catholic. I mean, if you go into her house, you got the candles and you got the beads and you got this and you got this. And and I could never do this because she believes that that was adequate. How could I possibly break my mama's heart and go get baptized as an adult? I can only tell you what Peter and John said when they were accosted by the religious elitist of their day. And they said, whether it is right to obey man, you decide. But we can't help but obey the Lord. We can't help but speak what we know. And I would encourage you, if you are part of a covenant theology tradition and you've never considered the claims of Scripture on baptism, strongly consider, have you been baptized biblically because if you were a child maybe you were seven eight maybe at vbs you thought you were saved you got wet but later you knew you were saved if you've never been baptized following belief then you've never been baptized and the reality is you want god's blessing you want god to take you to the next level in your spiritual life you want to grow surely you do we all want god's blessing and growth well how in the world can you expect god to bless you if you're not getting the very first thing right he said believe and be baptized and it has absolutely no correlation to circumcision you say well then what does because i know jesus talked about a new covenant if it's not baptism what is it well he actually teaches us what it is he actually teaches us in luke 22 jesus at the last supper the lord's supper said this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out to you poured out for you okay what took the place of circumcision listen to me The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is the new covenant. In other words, when he cried to Telestai, paid in full, it is finished, what is finished? All things according to the scripture. What Jesus said was, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. You don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. You don't have to go to the temple X number of times a year anymore. You don't have to confess to a priest anymore. You don't have to do any of it because it is finished. I did it all for you. And that is good news. That is good news. That means I can receive what God has done for me. I can accept it. And then I can live as the saint God's talking to me about. You only find one instance, Paul, going to the half-Jew named Timothy, and he said, I tell you what we're going to do, bud. We're going to circumcise. This is the Lewis Revised Version. We're going to circumcise you because I don't want you to be a stumbling block to the Jews who are still lost and need Jesus. And so, yes, Timothy was baptized, but everywhere, I'm sorry, Timothy was circumcised. He was also baptized, but they're separate. And everywhere else, Paul says, look, you don't have to be circumcised to be part of the family. In fact, listen, listen, you don't even have to be baptized to be part of the family of God. The thief on the cross was never baptized, but he was with Jesus in paradise that very day. So I'm not telling you that you have to be baptized to be a Christian. I'm not telling you you have to be baptized to be born again, but I am telling you, you must be baptized to be right with your creator, to be in line with his word, to do what the Bible says to do. I mean, Jesus himself went to John in the Jordan. We know baptism doesn't save you because Jesus didn't need to be saved, but Jesus himself went to John in the Jordan 
And John said, man, what are you doing? I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us, listen, to fulfill all righteousness. You know what Jesus said? John, it's the right thing to do. I am setting an example for those who would follow me. And here's what he was doing. I'm about to enter my public ministry. See, when you're saved, that's one thing. That could happen privately. But when you are baptized, you are publicly announcing. That's why we don't do it privately. You are publicly saying, I am living for Jesus Christ. If you need to get that in order, you need to see a pastor or counselor today. Come see Miss Cindy and I. We will get that in order for you. If you need to ask questions about, well, I don't know now. Because I always thought when I was a baby, that was it. Well, did you believe in Jesus as an eight-day-old? Or a two-week-old? Or a two-year-old? When you were christened, did you understand the faith once delivered to the saints? Without personal appropriation, you can't possibly be saved. That's why I tell you all the time, God has no grandchildren. You have God as your father, or you don't have him at all. And so I want you to get that nailed down. And I want you to understand, I am not trying to say, oh, you crazy Catholics, you crazy Lutherans, you crazy... No, 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 no. I respect and understand the tradition of covenant theology. I simply believe, like most of the Protestant reformers, that... We, that is a fundamental misunderstanding of circumcision to baptism. That circumcision was fulfilled in the spilled blood and sacrifice of Jesus. And that baptism is a totally separate thing indicating the new, cleansed, dead, buried, and resurrected life in Christ. What have we learned? World history has been impacted radically by the events that unfold here. God gives us new names as a sign of his faithfulness to the covenant, and God gave Jews sign, circumcision as a sign. So, I just want to remind you as the, the worship team comes up here to close us out, I have an identity and you do too. I have a new name. First, I'm a child of God. That's the most important thing you can know about me. That my creator, God Almighty, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is my heavenly father. I have a new identity. I also am husband to Cindy. I know most of you think, how in the world did she ever say yes? But by the glory of God and a lot of persuasion, she did. I am father to Heather, Holly, Hannah, and Bobby the Third. I am father-in-law to Parker and Garrett. I am g I will repeat. I am g to Lucy and Sophia. I am son to Bob and Nancy Lewis. I am a man called to serve the Lord as pastor of Grace Baptist Church. And the list could go on and on. And how I live, how I preach, how I teach, how I live, reflect on those identities. You know it's why it breaks my heart when a pastor falls? It hurts not only his family and his name, it hurts his church family. It hurts the kingdom. Man, the world loves to see that. But I'm reminded just in the way that when they fall, it hurts. When a, when a man and when a church shines and when they're proclaiming truth and God's goodness and the glory of God and the gospel of Christ, you know what? That's good for the kingdom. 
And I want people to look at your life and your legacy and your children and your grandchildren, and I want them to say, man, wow, there's something good there. Not perfect. None of us are. Look close at any of us, and there's many imperfections. But we don't go around highlighting that. We go around highlighting the one who paid the price for us, who makes all things new, including you and including me. And we highlight the fact that Christ is continuing to transform us. So where is your identity today? Who is your father today? Like, who's your daddy? Who is your father today? Have you followed him and been obedient to him? I don't mean religious rites and rituals. I mean, have you been obedient to the scripture? Do you have a new name written down in glory? And if you do, have you followed Christ in the beautiful ordinance called baptism. Here's your sign. Stand with me this morning. If you need to come and pray today, man, somebody ought to pray thanking God that they have a new name written down in glory. Somebody ought to pray that they didn't have to do a thing for their salvation but receive it. Somebody's in the valley today that needs to pray. Somebody's on the mountaintop celebrating that needs to pray. And like I told them last hour, if you're celebrating, It's pretty easy to praise God. But if you're hurting, will you still praise him? Will you still proclaim his greatness? Will you still come? Because that's when the world is watching. When you're hurting and you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I I, I just, I have to say this because God impressed it upon my heart a little bit earlier this morning. And our son-in-law, Parker, went over to do work for his mom and dad. They're two of the finest Christian people uh, that you'll ever meet in your life, TJ and Angie. And TJ is eaten up with cancer. The doctors have said there's nothing more that they can do. And your pop is just 60, I think, right? 60 years old. He's the godliest man maybe I've ever known, and he's a good man. And there's no more treatment this side of heaven that the doctors know that they can do. So I would ask you to pray for TJ. Pray for Angie. Pray for Parker. Pray for Dawson, his brother, Ruthie, his sister. TJ asked God to let him be here through the birth of his other, his third granddaughter and Ruthie's first child. And God allowed him to see her birth. But he's hurting. And, and doctors don't know everything, of course, but um, this would appear to be these final, this final season. But man, Cindy read me, uh, what is that thing, Caring Bridge? She read me their caring bridge. Was that this weekend, right, babe? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the faith. The praise of God. I I don't mean giddy, weird, yay, we're happy about this. I mean, we have praised God through the good times, and we will praise God through this valley. I mean, the faith. It was just pouring out of this couple. And so, man, you can pray for them. And I'm telling you, the world is watching when you are hurting. We had a dear, sweet couple here first hour that experienced the greatest loss any young couple could experience. And I got to talk to the husband for a few minutes afterward. And they are walking by such brilliant faith. Brilliant faith. He is half my age and twice the man I am. It's amazing to see things like that. And what is your choice? Will you live in accordance with your new name? 
Will you be obedient to your faith? This is your time to choose. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.